Hello and welcome to Talking You Retina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leaders from the world of retina and beyond. We'll also keep you up to date with the latest news from the society. Counting down the weeks now to the Uretina Congress in Amsterdam, which this year will be preceded by an innovation day. All of the details of how to register and program and speaker updates are on our website, uretina.org. Really excited about this particular episode because it is our first Talking Uretina from Asia and hopefully the first of many because we have an absolute rock star lineup of faculty for you to discuss PCV and pachycoroid and the uh, differences between Asian and Caucasian populations. Our chairs are Professor Taiji Sakamoto, who is president of the Japanese Retina Vitreous Society and vice president of Kagoshima University in Japan. He's also a board member of Uretina. Uh, he's joined by Professor Sung Young Yu, who is a vitreoretinal surgeon at Kongji University Hospital, as well as chair and professor of ophthalmology uh, at that same university. They are joined by a stellar panel. Uh, they are Professor Jemmy Chung, who is currently Professor of Duke NUS Medical School, National University of Singapore. She's also the head and senior consultant of the Medical Retina Department at SNEC and head of the Retina Research Group at the Singapore Eye Research Institute. We also have Professor Adrian Koh, who is Managing Partner at Iron Retina Surgeons in Singapore and Professor at the National University of Singapore and Duke's NUS Postgraduate Medical School. Looking forward to this immensely. So uh, without further ado, Professor Taiji Sakamoto, thank you very much for joining us. Great to see you. Over to you. Thank you, Jonathan. Hello, everyone. I'm honored to be able to participate in You Retina podcast. Today, I'm your host, Taiji Sakamoto, serving as a president of the Japanese Retina Veterinary Society and as a board member of You Retina. Co-hosting with me is Professor Senyan from uh, Kyunghyu University in South Korea. As you may know, there are racial differences in the prevalence of retinal diseases. Among them, conditions like polypoidal choroidal vasculopathy, PCV, and pachycoloid are known to be more common among Asians. However, recently it has become apparent that these diseases are not uncommon among Caucasians as well. As Asia, has accumulated significant research on these conditions, I believe it is meaningful to discuss them. The listeners of this podcast on Uretina are likely to be predominantly Caucasian. While Senyon and myself have a good experience on Asian patients, we may not be as knowledgeable about Caucasians. Therefore, we have invited two world-renowned ophthalmologists who have expertise in both Asians and Caucasian populations because they practice in the math ethnic city of Singapore. Dr. Adrian Ko has contributed significantly to the study of polypoidal choroidal vasculopathy and played a leading role in the Everest study. Dr. Jamie Chen also has numerous accomplishments, particularly in the field of pachycoloid, where she holds a leading position in Asia. First, I'd like to hear from Adrian. Adrian, thank you for participating in this podcast. Thank you very much, Taiji, and it's a great pleasure for me uh, to be on this podcast uh, with you, uh, as well as Seung Yong and, and Jamie, and I look forward to a very exciting and meaningful discussion. 
I'd like to open the uh, first interview asking first question. What is PCV? Well, to begin, polypoidal choroidal vasculopathy is really a subtype of wet AMD, and it's characterized by aneurysms, which appear orange-red uh, lesions, and they may or may not have an accompanying branching vascular network, which is seen on Indocine and Green Angiography, ICG. Now, the key clinical characteristics are really recurrent hemorrhages within the retina, as well as beneath the RPE, retinal pigment epithelium. Now, historically, it was initially thought to arise from the choriocapillaris, and hence the name PCV has stuck. Uh, we see the condition affecting uh, most frequently pigmented individuals, and here we are uh, looking at East Asian people and Black people in particular, who are at highest uh, risk. The condition itself was described in the early 80s by Lawrence Yanuzzi at a Macular Society meeting, and there have been numerous early discussions as well as descriptions. For example, posterior uveal bleeding syndrome, or PUBS, or multiple recurrent serosanguinous RPE detachments in black women by Stern in 1985. And all these early descriptions were really just observations, but now we have expanded the uh, spectrum and understanding of PCV, and particularly through work in Asia, from Japan, from Korea, and also from Singapore. Thank you. What is the pathophysiology of PCV, and how is it related to the pachycroid spectrum of diseases? It starts off with the observation that many of our patients with PCV have an underlying pachycoroid phenotype, and uh, Jemmy will, will later discuss this in more detail. What happens in pachycoroid is enlargement and engorgement of the larger choroidal vessels, and we believe that that causes a compressive effect on the inner choroid, thus attenuating it, giving rise to an ischemic state, and thus giving rise to RPE dysfunction. This RPE dysfunction uh, gives rise later to a hypoxic stimulus, usually through VGF, uh, giving rise to pachychoroid neovessels or pachychoroid neovasculopathy. And later on, these polypoidal aneurysmal dilatations appear at the end of a branching network. This is, of course, still a working uh, hypothesis. We do not know this for sure, but I think we have a good idea that it starts off with a pachychoroid state. Many European friends ask me, is PCV part of AMD then? I think it's a very good question, and I don't think the issue is very easy to answer. But I think that there is evidence to show that really PCV is a subtype of uh, neovascular AMD. Uh, the reasons I say this are a, a fewfold. Firstly, both present with the same clinical uh, symptoms and characteristics, that is exudative maculopathy. And if you look at the risk factors like hypertension and smoking, they also share the same ones. More importantly, the genotypic causation is also very similar. Complement factor H, uh, HTRA2 and ARMS2, all these have been shown to be causative for both uh, neovascular AMD as well as PCV. So I think they are two of the same P's in the pod. So we now consider that there are three subtypes of neovascular AMD. Firstly, polypoidal choroidal vasculopathy. Secondly, choroidal neovascularization. And thirdly, retinal angiomatous proliferation or type 3 choroidal neovascularization. So I believe that PCV is truly part of the spectrum of neovascular AMD. 
Yes,、uh, I just want to know how is PCV Asians different from Caucasians? It's interesting that there are quite、uh, distinct differences、uh, between Asian PCV and Caucasian PCV. And for that matter, there are also differences between Asian and Caucasian PCV and PCV in black patients. But first, let's deal with the first issue. Asian PCV affects predominantly male patients, while Caucasian PCV is more common in women. Secondly, Asian PCV is almost exclusively macular in location. Up to 93% are found in the macula,、uh, whereas in Caucasian PCV, an equal proportion are found in the macula as well as, as in the peripapillary area. So, peripapillary seems to be more common in non Asians. And the third is also very important unilateral involvement is the rule in Asian PCV. In fact, 83 to 93% of PCV in Asians are unilateral, and this has great significance,、uh, prognostic implications for the fellow eye. In Caucasian PCV, we find that the、uh, laterality is less、uh, unilateral, so in fact, it is about 50% uh, unilateral, 50% uh, bilateral. So, Clearly, I think there are ethnic、uh, differences in the presentation of PCV, and this is likely to be genetically determined. In addition, a recent study by Corvi compared PCV patients in three cities in Italy, in Singapore, and in London. It was found that Asian patients had, number one, more severe disease with lower presenting vision, two, more and larger area of subretinal hemorrhage, more pecky vessels. More choroidal vascular hyperpermeability, more widespread lesions, and interestingly, more resistance to anti VGF therapy. So, you find that actually、uh, there is distinct differences between Asian and Caucasian PCV. And indeed, Caucasian patients had more typical drusen and thinner choroids, more in keeping with our, our common understanding of typical AMD.、Mm, it's interesting. How often do you see PCV? So, in my practice, PCV accounts for about 50% of patients who present with exudative maculopathy.、Uh, the prevalence of PCV is definitely higher in non Caucasians. Anywhere from 23 to 55% of Asian patients will have PCV, compared to 8 to 13% of Caucasian patients with this clinical appearance. There's a very interesting study in France by Gabriel Koskas in 2014 compared two centers, one in France and one in Japan. And it was found that、uh, 49% of Japanese patients who presented with exudative maculopathy had PCV, while only 9% in French patients had PCV. So clearly, you see that there is an ethnic regional、uh, difference. So most European studies would report between 8 to 10%. But I think that recently there has been a greater awareness and recognition. And this has led to higher reports, a higher prevalence rates reported. For example, a Swiss study showed 21.5% in their white population. In Brazil, it's somewhere in between, 24.5%. And in the US, we have 21 to 31% uh, of uh, PCV reported. So, really, my message is that PCV is a global disease, not an Asian one. And how do you diagnose PCV? Diagnosis is made when、uh, there are two features. First, the protruding orange red elevated、uh, lesions. And second, the characteristic polypoidal lesions on ICG, 
which appear typically as early subretinal focal hyperfluorescence that appears within the first six minutes of the ICG. The Lievre study defined diagnostic criteria which we now widely use to define PCV. These include the presence of a hypofluorescent halo around the polypoidal lesions, an associated branching vascular network, pulsatile filling, as well as the presence of massive submacular hemorrhage. And uh, how do you treat PCV? Uh, what are the level one evidence for these treatments? Well, first, we treat PCV based on the location of the polypoidal lesions. Extra foveal PCV can be treated by focal laser photocoagulation. But subfoveal lesions, of course, cannot be treated with focal laser. We treat initially now with anti-VGF monotherapy. Now, after the initial three to four treatments with anti-VGF, we uh, assess the response. And if this response is suboptimal or refractory, then we would consider adding vertiporfin photodynamic therapy together with anti-VGF. And this is what we call combination therapy. Combination therapy has been shown also to be safe and effective for subfoveal polypoidal choroidal vasculopathy. Do you use a steroid as well? I sometimes use steroids, uh, but this is off-label. Very often, the combination therapy can include uh, small amounts of steroid, usually dexamethasone, in the injection. You asked about current level 1 evidence. Actually, we are very fortunate uh, that we have numerous studies supporting both monotherapy and combination therapy. For example, we have the PLANET study, uh, the HAWK study, and the Tenaya Lucerne, which gives us very robust evidence for anti-VEGF therapy for aflibercept, for brolisuzumab, and ferisumab, respectively. And of course, we have the Everest 1 and Everest 2 trials, uh, as well as the uh, Fujisan studies for combination therapy. So we have actually a wealth of level 1 evidence supporting treatment. When do you choose combination therapy? Combination therapy is chosen when I suspect that anti-VEGF alone uh, may not be sufficient to treat the condition. So there are several conditions that, several situations where combination might be better. Firstly, of course, when they don't respond to the initial three uh, doses of anti-VEGF. Two, when there is significant pachychoroid or pachy vessels uh, accompanied by choroidal hyperpermeability on ICG, the latter is seen as uh, hyperfluorescence in the late phase of the ICG. Fourthly, when we see persistent polyps, so these are polyps that are still open and still actively leaking, uh, even after treating with monotherapy, when the polyps are large, and finally, when they are pulsatile, because we believe that the pressure uh, that runs through these polyps is significantly greater. In all these situations, I think monotherapy alone may not be sufficient, and therefore combination therapy may be needed. We are always afraid of recurrence. Uh, do you know uh, what about recurrence? It is really important to watch out for recurrence because there are many phases in the uh, active as well as chronic phase of PCV. Typically, the active phase, when the disease first presents, you will see the typical polypoidal lesions, uh, and that's where activity arises from. But recurrences do not necessarily arise from polyps. So the first step is really to determine if there are active polyps during recurrences. If there are, 
then of course we can consider treating uh, the polyps themselves with PDT. So we do not necessarily have to treat the whole lesion, but apply PDT selectively to close the active polyps. Or we can continue with anti-VEGF monotherapy if polyps are not present. So in about 30-40% of recurrences, uh, actually there are no polyps anymore, and the activity really comes from choroidal neovascularization, in which case then adding PDT, it is not indicated, and we use anti-VEGF. I'd like to know prognosis. Uh, are there any difference between ethnic? In general, the prognosis is said to be guarded because 50% of patients have a, a reasonably good outcome. That is because this disease is re remitting and relapsing, and some polypoidal lesions may come and go spontaneously. However, the remaining 50%, we find that patients may lose uh, significant vision from chronic disease, such as multiple recurrent serosanguineous detachments, uh, RPE atrophy, fibrosis, disciform scarring, massive hemorrhage, and we even see vitreous hemorrhage or massive suprachoroidal hemorrhage. So there is a whole spectrum of outcomes, uh, and the prognosis is not always good. Do we have to watch fellow eye carefully? I think it's always important in any neovascular AMD uh, that we are concerned about the state of the fellow eye. The good news is that for Asian-type PCV, most cases tend to be unilateral, as I mentioned. Uh, in Caucasian PCV, uh, there is a much higher proportion, up to 50%, would be bilateral. And therefore, it is important to continue to monitor uh, patients for fellow eye disease. Significantly, in black patients, bilateral disease can be as high as 80%. And therefore, we really have to be vigilant. We have to uh, educate patients on what to look out for. But the key message for me is, is really for the fellow eye, vigilance, but we do not need to treat inactive polyps. I think most um, opinion leaders now are agreed that if the disease is not active, we do not need to actually treat uh, disease because inactive polyps may sometimes regress spontaneously. Of course, we need to consider the state of the first eye. For example, if the history of the first eye has been very, very poor, then maybe we would uh, choose to treat earlier rather than later uh, when the second eye is also affected. Mm, you are really a king of polypoidal. <laughs> Thank you very much. You are much, much better than my chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Taiji. Senyon, over to you. Okay, thank you, uh, Taizi, and thank you, Adrian, for providing valuable insight into PCV. And now let me introduce our next speaker, Dr. Jamie Chung from Singapore National Eye Center. And she has made remarkable contributions in the field of pachycoroid. And we are thrilled to have her share her expertise with us. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us today. Thank you, Sun-Yoon. It's great to be uh, with the, the whole panel today. Yeah, so pachycoroid is a relatively a new term, and there are uh, still aspects to be defined. And let's start by addressing the basics and what thickness is considered thick when we refer to pachycoroid. In other words, how thick should be choroid to be classified as pachycoroid? Thanks, Sonia. You've hit it on the nail. The definition of pachychoroid has been evolving, although the first description of pachychoroid, or even the name itself, implies a thick 
choroid, um, increasingly we find that using thickness to define this condition uh, has a lot of limitations. First of all, we know that choroidal thickness is variable according to a patient's age, it thins with age, and it varies according to the axial length, so that um, it's very hard to uh, have a threshold of calling what is normal for any single person. So many previous studies have arbitrarily picked a number, for example, 300 micron. Generally, we feel this is a relatively thick choroid. But on the other hand, if we say, is every person with a 300 micron choroid abnormal or pathological? The answer is clearly not. Many people can have absolutely no disease with a relatively increased choroidal thickness. So. Um, I think the short answer is there is no universally accepted threshold for calling something pachychoroid. So increasingly what we have found is that uh, we've moved away from using thickness, but increasingly looked at the morphology of the choroid, particularly uh, the identification of pachy vessels um, in the hallux layer to use as a, as a uh, definer for pachychoroid. And Related to that, I think increasingly the community may be considering um, some change to clarify this nomenclature as well. Although the, the term pachychoroid also is great, it Im immediately means something many of us can identify as a condition and is a short term, easy to call. But um, in terms of definition, there are clearly some uh, limitations. So in addition to pachychroid, pachybasis are also mentioned. So could you explain on um, the importance of uh, pachybasis? Yeah, sure. So increasingly, the focus, as I've mentioned, has moved away from thickness to looking for the presence of these pachyvessels. So what do we mean by pachyvessels? Um, these can be observed on ICGA, but that's invasive. So the other non-invasive way to look for this is using OMFAS OCT or OMFAS OCTA. We can also look at the cross-sectional OCT, but that has limitation because we may be cutting through the a certain vessel, not necessarily uh, fully um, in the cross-section, but you can cut it through diagonally. So OMFAS kind of images tend to be uh, better. So what we observe on these imaging is that the choroidal vessels have several features. One, they appear to have an increased caliber. But again, we, we face the same issue with, uh, with threshold. How, how fat is a choroidal vessel uh, considered fat? So that, that is again um, a little bit subjective. The other identifier is these vessels have to be in the hallux layer and generally accepted to be venous in origin. And thirdly, in terms of the morphology, which is probably the most useful now, is that they don't seem to taper towards the macula. So what we can look for is a thick hallux layer vein that crosses the horizontal uh, watershed zone, which we normally observe. And if we more recently look beyond the macula area, and many uh, groups have published great studies using ultra-wide field imaging, and follow these vessels through to the drainage uh, of the vortex and pull up. And it has been found that these thick vessels are not only thick, but they provide a communication between adjacent vortex uh, drainage system, the four quadrants. So the latest proposal is that these vessels may represent a kind of uh, anastomosis that helps to relieve the 
venous pressure that may arise from certain outflow obstruction within the choroidal venous system. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying the terms. And what do we currently understand about how choroidal change can lead to the manifestations of these disease? Yes. So um, as Adrian has already mentioned about PCV, and uh, PCV is one of the uh, disease that resides in the pachychoroid spectrum. In terms of other diseases, we have generally the non-neovascular complications and the neovascular complications. And these really can be traced back to damage in the, at the levels of the RP and choriocapillaris resulting from those uh, Hallers layer venous changes. So the current theory believes that because of the outflow obstruction, there is back pressure causing the anastomosis to form. The anastomosis themselves may be a compensatory mechanism, but if that is still not enough to dissipate the increased venous outflow pressure, then that will lead to a venous stasis in the whole system. Almost like if we think about like the portal hypertension in liver disease, something like that. So the, the venous pressure goes up, the incoming arterial pressure uh, against the increased venous pressure uh, leads to a reduction in the perfusion pressure. As a result, there is less uh, oxygen uh, uptake and leads to therefore um, ischemia in the choriocapillaris. And at the same time, then of course, RPE um, gets damaged and then it can start off a vicious cycle uh, causing increasing ischemia. And that can lead to the, first of all, RP damage that leads to uh, pachychoral pigment epitheliopathy and CSC. And later on, perhaps particularly in individuals who have additional risk factors such as age, smoking, uh, genetic predispositions associated with neovascularization per se. So those are particularly on top of the non-neovascular complications may then develop the pachychoral neovascularopathy as well as the PCVs. So these again are kind of um, evolving theories. Uh, I think everyone can chip in, the whole community can chip in and uh, we continue to learn more and more about this. Thank you. Probably there's a, a lot um, multifactorial reason, but probably the vascular insufficiency and the pressure effect uh, are the most important factor on this. And recent advancement in imaging technology have significantly improved our ability to visualize the choroid and the outer retina. You already mentioned about the imaging technology and this, but what are the imaging modality currently used to evaluate a case of pachychoroid? So um, the most easy, easily accessible and non-invasive would be to use OCT, uh, although we've mentioned the limitations of thickness, but that can give us a very quick clue. Uh, in addition to the thickness, we also look at the distribution of the choriocapillaris and the Sattler and the Hallas layers. Uh, as agents already mentioned, in addition to the thickened Hallas layer, um, many groups have observed a thinning or attenuation of the choriocapillaris that's overlying that uh, Hallas uh, dilated vein, veins as well. So those are some of the features that can be easily uh, looked at. Uh, for the complications, we then look at the RPE level for RPE uh, irregularity and clumping, as well as outer retinal thinning. 
which may be useful to, to look for in cases of, again, PPE or resolved CSC. So that, those are with OCT. We've mentioned about using on fast OCT or on fast OCTA or if uh, available ICGA to look at the choroidal features. But other modalities are important, particularly for us to recognize the uh, complications. I have found using autofluorescence extremely useful. It is still, I believe, quite underutilized. And uh, in my practice, I recently did a study. I was amazed at how many cases of pachychoroid pigment epitheliopathy I unearthed that when I looked at the fundus, I did not expect it. And when I did FAF, wow, the, the, the extent of changes was much more than I had expected. So I find that extremely useful. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, for the pachychoroid neovasculopathy, um, these can be harbored within a shallow irregular RPE elevation they can often be non-exudative. So using an OCT angiography to screen out for any of these cases, again, without OCTA previously, many of us might have just labeled them as central serous, but now we know that many of them actually are harboring a pachycroid neovasculopathy. And finally, PCV, of course, but I think Adrian's covered that very well, and many cases of PCV are are much more obvious. So I think I would recommend adding FAF as well as OCTA, particularly useful to recognize the PPE and the um, non-exudative neovasculopathy. Thank you. It is very impressive and very good to know. And are there significant differences in the manifestation and characteristics of pachycoroid diseases among various ethnic groups? And is there any specific reason why these diseases appear to be more prevalent in Asian population compared to other ethnic groups? Well, this is a very difficult question, and I think um, there still needs to be a lot more research to help understand it. Um, I can just share the limited data that I have. Um, so, for example, uh, in Singapore, we have three ethnic groups. We have Chinese, Indians and Malay. And we've had the opportunity to look at choroidal thickness distribution as well as uh, the genetic background uh, related to choroid. And quite interesting, even within these three sub-ethnic groups within Asia, so we are not even comparing with uh, Caucasians in the setting. We found that, for example, Malays have thinner choroid compared to Chinese and Indian. So even there, we found a difference. And quite interestingly, uh, ourselves and some uh, groups in Japan have also uh, started to recognize that CFH, although traditionally linked to uh, neovascular AMD uh, background, CFH increasingly we find that may also affect choroidal thickness as well. And so in one recent study, we have found that interestingly, CFH may be associated with a thickened choroid in Indians, but has a different opposite direction of association. So in Malays, the same SNP is associated with a thinner choroid. So these are just some um, very early observations, and it would be really interesting to compare with other ethnic groups to understand um, whether the genetic background has some uh, impact. Yeah, looking forward to the further uh, investigation. And for the final question, 
Let me ask, uh, does that thickness or presence of uh, packet vessels influence your treatment decision for conditions such as uh, central serous retinopathy or other exudative disease like a PCV or pachycroid neovascularization? I, I do think it does. Um, as Adrian mentioned earlier on in his case, I think Adrian said that particularly with the thick choroid eyes, um, uh, PDT may be considered uh, more often. I think um, for me, uh, you can also, I agree with that. And you can also flip it uh, on the other side is, is, in fact, those patients with thin choroid, uh, I would be quite careful with uh, adding PDT because um, they may ha already have a level of chronicity and underlying RP and choriocapillaris damage. So if possible, I'd like to avoid PDT in those cases. And even between the anti-VEGF agents, there are uh, some, although not level one evidence, but there are some suggestions that a couple of the anti-VEGF agents may be able to thin choroid more remarkably than the other agents. So particularly in thick choroid cases, I may like to choose um, uh, those agents. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us today, and Jamie and Adrian, and your contribution have enriched our understanding of uh, these conditions. And special thanks to our uh, chair, Professor Taiji Sakamoto, for organizing this uh, discussion. And to our listeners, we hope you found this discussion informative and engaging. Jonathan, back to you. Well, what can I say? You, you have set the bar very high for our first Talking Eurasian episode from Asia. It's been really, really interesting to hear about the differences in populations and your own uh, different experiences, insights and perspectives. So thank you so much to Taiji, Sung Young, Jemmy and Adrian for your time and participation in this podcast. I hope to have you on again very soon. I'd love to hear your comments on that discussion and your experiences too. You can email us podcast at uretina.org. That's it from us on this episode. I'm Jonathan McRae. We'll see you next time on Talking Uretina. Retina.